Well, I want to start off by uh, asking you a question. I have a little picture I'll share with you. Why? <laughs> I mean, these are grown men. We can probably assume they're married. That might be a big assumption. Um, <laughs> probably have kids. But why? I mean, did they wake up one morning and say, you know, I wear the suit, I wear the tie, but I need a new look. I mean, was that what was behind this? Uh, maybe their wives said, I am sick of you wearing the same clothes all the time. I'm going to choose something for you to wear. Probably not. Maybe somebody pays them. Did they, did they perhaps get paid to dress up like this? Or, or maybe somebody's threatening them. They're saying that you're going to lose your job unless you dress up like this, particularly the pig nose. Now, most of us know these are people that are associated with the Washington football team. All my life, Redskins. Now it's the Commanders. <laughs> and... Uh, these individuals, we, we really know what's behind this. At some point in their life, they became fans. I mean, it's, it's pretty simplistic. They became fans of Washington football. So we can assume they really enjoy football. And they enter into the experience when the game is played. They feel the thrill when the team is doing well and probably the pain when it's not doing so well. But they get so involved so excited this has become such a pleasurable experience two words pleasurable and experience for them that they have come to treasure it I know that sounds crazy so the way they express how much it means to them how much they treasure it is they dress up like this when they go to the game I, I don't understand I mean if you're going to dress up like a hog this comes from the offensive line back in the good days 30 years ago when we had a good team um <laughs> but why not wear bib overhauls with the hammer, you know, place and everything? Why dresses? I've never understood why they do that. That's troubling to me. It's really troubling. <laughs> anyway, it's all about because they treasure the experience of entering into the spirit of being a fan of Washington football. Now, we're in a series called this. Worship, And what I've said pretty much each week is that when we think of this term worship, multitudes of people kind of look at it like it's just optional. It's just for people that are inclined to feel spiritual things or that are interested in those sorts of things. What I've tried to show is that no, in fact, every single human being that's ever lived, that ever will live, every human being alive in this room today, we all actually are right now fully engaged in worshiping something or someone we're either worshiping the creator the scripture says or something that he's created it could be another human could be a lot of things and what and what we said is that when it comes to this thing of worth worship the reason i have it broke down like at worship is because there is a cerebral uh, uh, don't yeah okay there's a cerebral rational part of this where we want to take a look and see who is worthy to be supremely trusted to be supremely regarded, who is worthy, who has the power to, as it were, rule and reign over every heart and every mind and make things as good as they possibly can be, who has not just the power, but who has the character to be trusted, to be supremely regarded. There's a, there's a cerebral part where we just say, who is worthy of this kind of trust? 
There's also, I said last week, there, there's a more visceral part, an emotional part, a relational part. We, when we enter into dis, the distinctives of worship, authentic worship, true worship, I must not only consider if God is the one that I'm worshiping, that he's worthy. In other words, he has the competence and he has the character to be trusted, to be supremely regarded, but I must actually like him. I must actually from the inside out like his ways, his will. And if I don't actually like his ways, like his will, as it's revealed in his word, then, then I can't authentically worship him. I may tolerate him. I may want to appease him. I may want to get things out of him. I may want to use him. But I don't authentically like him and perhaps love him, which is all involved in authentic worship. So we're going to take that last one. That, that think about it. There's a visceral component, an emotional, relational component of worship. We're going to kind of expand on that today. And we're going to talk about the, the dominance of worship. Worship, whatever we are worshiping, and I've said this each week, it, it dominates our life whether we know it or don't know it. Let, let me share this statement, and I've shared this each week too. What we worship, what we worship determines the quality of our lives and the content of our character. Right now, the quality of each of our lives, it is the result of what or who we are worshiping, as well as the content of our character. It, it has a, a shaping component to it. Now, to really get into this, we're going we're to emphasize one unique component of human beings today, and that is this thing called the heart. And when the scripture uses the word heart, use it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it just means kind of the innermost part of ourselves. But in other ways, it really, when you segment it out, it, it's talking about the, the deepest core desires that we have as human beings. And you have to allow those desires to be fueled by an unrestricted imagination to really find out what those deepest core desires are. We tend to follow level one of our hearts. Level one of our hearts is just, what do I desire kind of right now? What do I desire that I think is attainable right now? But that's not the deepest level of the heart. The heart goes deeper. But here's the key today. We're going to see that that when the heart fastens onto something, a treasure, something that the heart thinks is valuable, something that the heart thinks is very desirable, it starts to drive the rest of our life. It forms the trajectory of our life, where we go, what we do, what we pursue, how we set our priorities, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, all those things. It all falls into place. We're, we're rather logical, orderly beings. So we're going to let the Lord introduce this to us. We're going to go to Matthew's gospel. Kim already mentioned it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is Christ talking. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure where? On earth. Why? Why, Lord? Why don't you want me to pile up treasures on earth? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, don't pile up, don't pursue piling up treasures on earth because they're not going to last. They're going to deteriorate. They're going to end up in the dump. He says, and plus, you're never going to be able to fully enjoy them because you live in a world where there's thieves, where there's all kind of problems with evil. Evil makes the best experiences in life less than perfect. We can't hold on to them. We can't freeze time. And even if we could, the presence of evil always creates a, a threat mechanism. So Jesus is just reasoning with us. He's saying, listen, there's no sense in storing up, giving all your energy to store up treasures on earth because 
it's just going to deteriorate you're not going to be able to hold on to it it's not going to last it's not going to endure and plus you're not going to be able to enjoy it fully because the clock is ticking you only have about 100 years and evil is present in the world and that makes struggle and maintenance and protecting uh, the wealth and all that come into play so he says here's why you know I suggest you don't do it Jesus says verse 20 but lay up for yourselves treasures where in heaven now pause I haven't been to heaven before anybody in here been to heaven some of you have okay you'll have to talk to me about that or was that just a nose scratch perhaps a nose scratch <laughs> I, I haven't been to heaven I've never seen it uh, I, I know what scripture says about it I know some pictures that we get in the book of Revelation a little bit but here's what I do know I know that Jesus said that he came from heaven to earth and I know that his life illustrates that he was not just a normal human being the the miracles that he did that were were so completely accepted even amongst his enemies as being authentic they tell me that that he's been somewhere that I haven't been not only that he predicted his own death he predicted the exact way it was going to happen and he predicted his own resurrection no one has ever risen from the grave except Jesus and there is compelling evidence compelling I do this on most Easter's so I show the compelling evidence that Christ actually rose so I said all that to say this I believe this is a real place that Jesus rules and reigns that he came from and that I believe this place is what my heart, follow me now, and yours, your heart has always wanted. We, we, we say it in all kinds of ways. We say things like, you know, man, I, I don't expect everything. I just want to be happy. That's all. I, I, I mean, I don't have to be rich. I don't have to be famous. I don't have to be powerful or popular. I, I just want to be happy. What we are saying when we say that is, I have an ache in my soul for an existence that I don't have the ability to put together on my own, nor do I see any other human uh, leaders or governments able to put it together, but, but I, I want this ultimate kind of happiness. The truth be told, I want a perfect happiness. I want to be in a place where everyone is loved by everyone else and respected, and no one worries ever. There's nothing to fear. There's no sickness, sorrow, pain, death. You look inside your heart deep enough, it exists. That's, that's God's imprint his fingerprint, if you want to look like that, that's reminding us of the place we were made for and that Jesus came from and that Jesus tells us. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in a steel. Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to invest in something, if you're going to invest your life in something, invest your life in heaven because what you invest in up there, it's never going to wear out. It's never going to get old. It's never going to deteriorate. And there's no evil there. There's no threat. You don't have to worry about thieves. You don't have to worry about crisis. You don't have to worry about war. What, is, what you put there will be there forever. Now, some of us in this room actually believe that. And this is not a message about money. So it should go, it's not going to be about giving. It's not. <laughs> but some of us in this room believe that. We believe that heaven is a real place. We believe that you can actually lay up treasure there by the way we live, by the way we give, all these things. We believe that. And we not only believe it, we do it. There's a big difference. Sometimes we believe things we don't do. But some of us in here, we, we believe it and we do it. 
And then there's some of us in here, we believe it, but we don't do it. And then there's some of us in here that probably don't believe it at all. We're not even sure why we're here. Somebody, somebody just, you know, kind of uh, said what they, they could to get us to come to church one Sunday. It's okay. It's all right. But for we that actually believe what Jesus says, that we that trust him, we, we have to start by asking ourselves a question. Am I, am I doing this? Does my life indicate that my treasure is not here on earth, what I value supremely, what I throw myself into, what I'm investing, I, I'm actually living my life in such a way that I am hoping to be rewarded not on this earth, but in heaven. Now, now I'm not talking about some mercenary idea about God where you're just kind of living every day for rewards. That's not what it's about. But Jesus is trying to explain to us, if you want a trustworthy philosophy of life, he says, don't let your heart get attached to things of this earth because they won't last and they'll disappoint. Let your heart get attached to things that are in heaven. Now, he's going to summarize that in the next, next verse. Here we go. For where your treasure is, there your what? Your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, you can serve God with money, but you can't serve God in money. They're going to be pulling in a different direction. Laying up treasure on earth, laying up treasure in heaven. Now, we're not going to talk about money, so once again, just relax. But I am talking about treasure, and more importantly, the concept that my heart and your heart will follow what we treasure those guys dress up like women and put pig noses on because they treasure the experience that they have of being washington football fans it it, it modifies their lifestyle uh, i mean can you imagine they actually went out and picked out those dresses i mean i'm i don't i guess they said oh it's for my wife <laughs> anyway Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So here, here's the deal. Right now, each and every one of us in here, there is something that we treasure. Uh, we may treasure it knowingly or unknowingly, but, but we treasure probably various things, and our heart will chase after what we treasure. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, a simple question. If you look out the window of your house, and maybe you live on a street where this wouldn't apply, but you look out the window of your house and you see some kids, they're throwing a hard ball back and forth, they're playing catch right in front of cars, okay? So that if, if one kid misses or overthrows, it's going to break the windshield of the car. Now, if you look out and it's your neighbor's car, you, you, if you like your neighbor, <laughs> you, might, you might be tempted to say something to the kids. But how many will acknowledge if it's your car? If it's your car, you're going to say something to the kids. Can I just see your hands? Yeah, you're, you're going to. Why? Because it's your treasure. You own it. My heart, my concern, my interest follows my treasure. That's what Christ is saying. And he's saying, so be careful then. Here's a statement. We'll, we'll kind of build this message around. What we treasure captures our heart and our heart will drive the direction of our life. Right now, something has captured every one of our hearts. It's true. We may know what it is. We may not know what it is. But right now, your heart, my heart, has been captured by something. Jesus says our hearts follow treasure. 
Therefore, it becomes paramount for us to do this. We need to learn about guarding our hearts because our hearts are susceptible to being fooled. I would sing foolish heart, but I'm unable to do that. I would have been a perfect place to sing the song. But <laughs> so we have to learn how to guard our hearts, and that's what I want to spend the first part of this message on. So let's just look at some scripture to kind of get ourselves acclimated to the importance of guarding our hearts because our hearts, they, they, can, be, they can be seduced. Our hearts can become infatuated. Our hearts can become obsessed with things that actually are not worthy of our hearts or of our lives. So here we go. Proverbs 4 just kind of urges us, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Right now, some of you have, have set your heart on something at some point in your life. And maybe you even got it. By the way, that's a big warning. Whatever you set your heart on, be careful because you're likely to get it. And sometimes you get what you want and then you don't want what you got. And that's what I was going to go to. Some of us in here, we have set our hearts on some things, gotten those things, only to find out that wasn't worth the price. So tuck that away about why it's so critical to guard our heart. Remember, my heart is susceptible to, to following what I value, what I treasure, what I think is desirable. So I've got to be careful what, what seduces me. I have to be careful what I get infatuated with. I have to be careful what I get obsessed with because I'm vulnerable for all those things. Here's another one from the book of 1 John in the Bible. It says in 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not notice the emphasis on the word love. We're talking affection here. We, we get affectionate for things that we treasure, that we think are valuable, or they, they bring us experiences that we want. Do not love this world nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. In other words, it's saying, if I love this present world with all of its evil and all of its poverty and all of its hatred and, and, and all the, the things that are just unjust, if, I'm, if I love this, God's love is not in my heart because he does not love the state of things in this world. How could he and still be good? So it says, goes on to say, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Now, now hold that, that passage here on the screen for a minute. So what Jesus is saying here is that what society, what world, what the culture all through human history offers is various things that bring us pleasure, uh, pleasures of various kinds. And those things can entice our hearts, seduce our hearts. Some of us in this room, the whole trajectory of our life has been revolving around some particular pleasure that got hold of our hearts. And we can't break the connection. We're still chasing that pleasure. Beyond that, we're enslaved by that pleasure. Then he talks about a craving for everything we see. That's possessions. He's saying that the world will say, man, buy it, you'll like it. Buy it, you'll like it. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. Newer, nicer, bigger, better. Newer, nicer. Sell that old furniture. Get rid of that old furniture. Get some new furniture. Sell that house. Get a bigger house. Get a, get a new car. And, and we chase, chase, chase. And there's no denying that there's some pleasure in those things initially. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong, by the way. I'm just saying what Scripture's saying here. Be, be careful, be careful, because that can, that can grab hold of our hearts and then it starts to drive the direction of our life. And then the last one he says is the pride. No, 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 if I could go back there, please. Uh, the, the pride in our achievements and possessions. Uh, 
That's that we become uh, enamored with the experience of feeling prestige, of feeling, you know, we've made some accomplishments. We, we like our status, and that can be intoxicating in and of itself. Some people's whole lives are driven by the desire for popularity, prestige, approval, accomplishment, achievement. And Scripture is warning us that's fool's gold. Don't chase it. Don't let it seduce your heart because it will leave you high and dry. It will leave you disappointed. It doesn't last. It's not eternal. Hence, Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven. And what you might be thinking, well, how do you do that? I do that by becoming who? I become the person that Christ created me to be. I grow, I develop to become more like him. And I do the things that God has equipped me and intended for me to do. In this life, we all have a mission. You have a mission, I have a mission. Yours is not mine, mine's not yours. But we all have a God-given mission. I must learn what God's equipped me for and what opportunities he's given me. And I must seize those and do the good that I have opportunity to good and so must you and that that will be the basis ultimately of of our judgment before God but if we get sidetracked if our hearts get attached to things that are worthless we won't become who God meant us to become and we won't do the things that God had intended and equipped us to do let's go on this verse finishes out it says this world is fading away along with everything that people crave but anyone who does what pleases God will what live how long forever that's eternal life jesus said the one that trusts in him and becomes his follower he gives as a free gift eternal life not just forgiveness of all sins which is an immensely important thing for all of us as humans but he says i give freely eternal life to all who will put their trust in me and become my follower the scripture is redundant in that regard let's look a little bit more about this guarding our heart uh, romans 12 2 it says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So here's this warning again. Don't copy. Don't go along with the trends. Don't go along with the fads. Don't go along with the value system. Just because everybody's doing it, it doesn't mean that it's actually trustworthy for you and I to allow our hearts get seduced by, attached to. It's just warning us. Be careful. Let me go on again. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, it says, Dear friends, I warn you as what kind of residence? Temporary. You and I are here for a short time. Temporary residents and foreigners. The scripture says to those that have put their trust in Christ and become his follower, Philippians 3:20, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven where we eagerly await from there a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why it calls we Christ followers foreigners. As temporary residents, foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that do what? They, they wage war against your very souls. So let me give you something to think about. Uh, you ever notice how, like, uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to make a big deal here about alcohol, okay? So just relax. It's not about money. It's not about alcohol. But you ever notice that alcohol commercials, uh, usually these really handsome and beautiful young people and they're all in great shape you know and, and they're always smiling everybody everybody in the commercial they're drinking their wine cooler or they're drinking their beer and and they're just so happy they are just so happy and they're in great shape it kind of makes you think man i want to drink that because it'll put me in shape and it'll put a smile on my face you know <laughs> but but the commercials don't they don't show you the sandman 
Now, you're wondering, what's the Sandman, Randy? About three, four years after I had become a Christ follower, I went to the beach. And I'm watching, and there's a group of young people, young adults. They were probably about my age. I was actually at one point in my life a young adult myself. Uh, It did happen. I know. I was there. Uh, And so I'm watching this one guy. Man, he was juiced up. He was amped up. He's just like the Tasmanian devil. Some of you don't know who's the Tasmanian devil. Speedy Gonzalez, you don't know him either. Uh, Energizer Bunny, maybe a few of you know him. Uh, I show my age again. But anyway, this guy, I mean, he's running around, and he could not drink a beer fast enough. I'm watching this scene because I've done these things before in my pre-Christian days, and my man is just whopping them down right in the burning sun, one after another, after another. and he's running around. He's just, he's having a ball, you know? Well, the day, the day wanes on, and the sun starts going down, and, you know, everybody starts leaving the beach. Well, I noticed that my man's friends are all leaving, but he's not leaving. No, 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 he's not leaving. My man is face down in the sand. I kid you not. So I watch until finally, it's like everybody's abandoning. So being the young Christian do-gooder that I was at the time, I go over to the guy, and I'm like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, hey, hey, hey. And I get him, and he turns around. He turns his head up, and his whole face has sand stuck to it, and the sand is in his mouth. I kid you not. And he says, Now, I had forgotten how to speak drunk. Uh, I used to know the language very well, but I I couldn't interpret it that day. And, uh, you know, I managed to get him up on his feet, and at that point I was like, man, I'm not riding you anywhere. However you got here, you're going to have to get home the same way. But they don't show that in these commercials. When evil wants to entice us, it wraps itself in some sort of an attractive uh, compartment, you know. Well, like I say, in the commercials, they're all like that. They, 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 by the way, they don't, just, they don't show the Sandman. If you saw the Sandman, you wouldn't be so eager to buy the beer or the wine cooler or whatever it is. They also don't show the sick chick. And you, know what, you know what I'm talking about? The one where she, her girlfriend's holding her hair and she's... <laughs> they don't show that because they wouldn't sell a whole lot of wine cooler a whole lot of beer that way no evil always wraps itself in something attractive in order to entice us because they can't evil can't show what the cost is up front one last one about guarding our hearts and this is this is activistic this is something we should we should practice regularly as those that have uh, put our trust in Christ and are his followers. Psalm 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, because I don't always know what's gotten hold of my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. We, we should habitually take time to pray this kind of prayer because we can't see ourselves very well. We don't have very good objectivity. We always see ourselves a little bit better than we tend to be. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here's, I'm going to take you a little bit deeper now about guarding our heart. Let me go straight to it. Here's the conditions the heart must be guarded from. Now, I've mentioned these already, but I'll you know, emphasize them again. Seduction. Your heart, my heart, can be seduced by people and by things, things that, that are not worthy of us. And that seduction can lead to infatuation. We, we just get where all we can think about is that thing and we're excited about it and, and we just want to spend more time and experience it more. 
And it can lead to obsession. We can get obsessed with persons, places, and things, experiences. That's, that's level one. Now let me go on. How do these conditions develop? Okay, so how do we get seduced? How do we get infatuated? How, how do we get obsessed? Here's the actual experience. And the reason I'm doing this is so that we can deconstruct how we get ourselves so far out, so hooked, so addicted, and we don't even know how we got there. I, I want to show you how this works. First of all, something or someone gets our attention. And then we find ourselves attracted to whatever it is. It might be an experience. It might be getting money. It might be something else. It might be a person. And then we decide, I'm, I'm going to try to get this. I'm going to try to experience this. I'm going to experiment with it. That's, that's level one. Now, level two is where things start to get really, you know, critical. Now that I've experienced it, you know, I'm going to evaluate it. Well, how did this make me feel? Did it make me feel immediately good? Did it, did it bring me pleasure? Did it bring me prestige? Did it bring me popularity? Did, did it give me something I wanted or not? And that leads to this. If it gave me something I want, I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to make it a part of my life. Habituation. I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to pursue it, and it's going to, I'm going to give my heart to it, and I'm going to pursue it. And habituation eventually leads to addiction. It starts out, I'm doing it, and it ends up, it's doing me. It has me, and I'm locked. I'm locked. That's why Jesus says, don't, don't lay up treasures on earth because your heart's going to follow it, and, and you're going to end up with a life that wasn't the kind of life that God designed you to live, and you won't be the person that he meant you to be. He's saying, lay up treasure in heaven because you were always meant to be a heavenly inhabitant, and you've got to learn the life that you are meant for, the life that lasts forever. Don't give yourself to worthless things that don't last. Give yourself to and for things that will last forever. So I can almost imagine somebody sitting here with this thought going through their head. So what about just follow your heart, Randy? Just follow your heart. That's a kind of a popular idea in society today. Well, here's what Scripture says about our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? God, who loves us, created He's saying you can't trust your heart. Your heart is not in the condition that it was uh, originally designed to be in. Let me share one more. This is Jesus himself speaking. He says, Mark 7, 21, For from within, out of a person's, what is the word? Heart, come evil thoughts. We've all heard, he has such a good heart. She has such a good heart. And it's usually a scoundrel, right? It's a scoundrel that somebody's talking about, but they're trying to find something good to say. So they say, well, well, yeah, he might do a lot of bad things or she might do what, but, but they have a good heart. Well, here's Jesus, the kindest, most loving, the most forgiving being in the universe. For from within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what, they, they are what defile you. So far from people having good hearts, Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's the heart that is the source of all kinds of bad things. Now, 
I'm going to try to be brief because I, I, I want to watch my time, but I want to tell you a story. I'm going to have to tell it as fast as I can to show you how this cycle goes. Uh, years ago, there was a man that was in this church. And he had been in this church for some years. He's not here now, so, you know, and I'm not going to mention his name or anything. But he told me his story. And his story went like this. He grew up in a Christian home. He went to a Christian school. He then graduated and he went to a Christian college. He then got out of Christian college and he married a Christian girl who was the daughter of a pastor. Pretty, you know, perfect thing so far, right? Christian parents, Christian home, Christian school, Christian college, Christian girl, pastor's daughter. So they go to dinner. They're married now. They got married. They're not married now, but they were married then. They got married and they had pizza and the pastor's daughter said to this guy said you know let's get a beer we're we're adults now let's just get a beer and he said okay so they got a beer his words to me he said after the first beer I felt something different and we got another one he said and I felt something I had never felt before in my whole life what he found out is that he had been uh, biologically depressed most of his life it felt normal to him so he didn't know any better but when the beer that little bit of alcohol got in his system he, he felt relaxed this sent this guy on about a 20 year journey in and out of rehab in and out of jail barbiturates became his choice so it went from beer which kind of brings you down you know alcohol is a downer to barbiturates and, and, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know where the fella is at to this day. Uh, he used to contact me when he left the church pretty regularly, but I haven't heard from him for about three years. So I hope that means he's doing well. But I say all that to say that, that this cycle, once something gets hold of our hearts and we treasure it, he treasured that feeling. He had never felt relaxed before but it didn't take him where he wanted to go. It took him where he would never have wanted to go. And by the way, he was a very intelligent, very gifted individual in, in many ways. So this cycle is, is one that Jesus is trying to guard us from when he says, man, lay up your treasure on heaven. Don't, don't, don't start trying to find it all in this life because you can't, and even if you get it, you won't live long enough to enjoy it. So rather than follow our hearts God says I you we, we we need to guide our hearts we need to target our hearts on the right thing Jesus said lay up your treasure in heaven because your heart's going to follow you know your treasure so we're to to govern and guide our hearts not follow our hearts if you're in here today and you you've been living by that that philosophy I just follow my heart I can promise you you're going to have many many bad experiences unnecessary bad experiences in life because your heart and my heart are not trustworthy so we need to guide our hearts here's some scripture that helps us with this Colossians 3 1 now this is written to those that have put their trust in Christ and made the decision to be his followers everybody's following somebody we're either following ourselves or somebody else I determined at age 23 I'm going to put my trust in Christ and I became his follower I hope that speaks to most of you in here but if you've never made a decision to put your trust in Christ and follow him everybody's following somebody usually ourselves why not do what I did at age 23 put your trust in Christ and follow him you you will never ever regret that that I can promise you anyway he's writing to followers of Christ he says you have been raised to life with Christ so set your hearts 
on things that are where? In heaven. In heaven. Same thing Jesus said. Lay up your treasure in heaven. So I, so I have to make sure that my heart is not being seduced. My heart is not becoming infatuated. My heart is not becoming obsessed with earthbound things that at best are temporary and will leave me empty at the end. He says, I, I've got to start setting my heart treasuring things that are above the life that is above where Christ sits on the throne at the right side of God keep your minds fixed on things where there in heaven where the life that we've always wanted really will be ours instead of the life that we always wanted and trying to make it happen here because it can't not on the things here on earth and by the way when we set our minds on heavenly things our life here on earth becomes better more fulfilling, more manageable, less chaotic, less full of consequences. Let's go on. Philippians 3, it says, Our citizenship, and I mentioned this earlier, is in heaven. This is written again to those that put their trust in Christ or his followers. Hope that's talking to you. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so I'm to set my mind on where my real home is. Let's go on. 1 Peter 1.13, it says, So prepare your minds for service with complete self-control. Put all your hope in your 401k. <laughs> Here today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> Put all your hope in the grace that will be yours. But, 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 but when, when is this grace going to be mine? When Jesus Christ, what does it say? comes it's talking about the second coming of Christ you are highly likely to live to see the second coming of Christ we, we are a unique chosen generation I don't want to get too into that because I'll go on forever let me share one more with you second Corinthians 4 it says for for we fix our attention not on the things that are seen but on the things that are unseen what can be seen lasts only for a time but what cannot be seen last forever so to protect my heart to guide my heart I'm going to keep my focus on the eternal not the temporal perspective on life I'm going to see to it that I'm thinking more and more regularly daily weekly about the heavenly life because this life in, and on this earth I don't care how good it is it's not good enough it's not good enough for you it's not good enough for me yes we have to learn to be content while we're waiting but the life that you want, the life that I want, the life that we were meant to have, it awaits heaven. And so when I start treasuring that and I start living now for the life that's to come, I live this life better. I am more fulfilled. I am more content with less because I know what's coming. I make wiser decisions. My values are better. And so will yours be as well. Let me close with this. 1861, April 1861, uh, was the start of our country utilizing paper money. Prior to that, they had minted coins, you, you know, but there was no paper money. And the reason they started doing paper money was because of the Civil War. When the 11 states of the South broke away from the North and the wars, you know, churned up, you know, the attack of Fort Sumter and so forth in 1861, they needed money. So they printed Confederate money. And, of course, the, the war ended around April or May 1865, depending on how you look at it. They, the, they settled in Appomattox, uh, April 1865. Lee surrendered, but the war still kind of dragged a little bit. But any way you look at it, here's the thing. Let's just say that 
you took all of your wealth, you were a wealthy plantation owner, and you took all your wealth. Maybe you were worth a couple million, so you put it all into Confederate currency because you needed to function, you needed to do things. Well, your currency, 1861, when it was first printed, it was worth what it was worth. You were still a millionaire. But in 1865, <laughs> you might have had millions of dollars in Confederate currency. And you know how much it was worth? Nothing. I want you to let that sink in. Imagine actually being a millionaire and you've got your holdings in money, paper money at the time, and you wake up to find you have nothing. Your money is worthless. That is what Jesus is trying to help you and I avoid. He's saying, listen, if you're living for the dot and eternity is this ever-extending line, you're going to be cheating yourself. You're not going to develop. You're not going to become who you were meant to be. You're not going to do the things you were meant to do. And you're going to find in the end of life, and this life is very short. I mean, you know, you live to be 100, 120, you know, it goes by really quick. He's saying, live for eternity. Make sure your heart does not get, first of all, seduced, infatuated, or obsessed with something from this earth that can't last because it will serve you poorly in the long run. So let's close with a question. Right now, first a statement, then a question. Right now, as I said earlier, my heart and your heart, all of our hearts, has been captured by some treasure there is something that you value might be an experience might be a person might might be some achievement some goal whatever it is might be massing money I don't know but each of us our hearts it's captive right now right now and we're chasing we're motivated we're energized to pursue whatever it is that's captured our heart some treasure has captured each of our hearts do you know what treasure has captured yours? We must know this. We must be, be willing to ask ourselves hard questions. Where's the evidence lead? When I start to try to objectively assess my life, what am I in pursuit of? What, what am I motivated about mostly? Am I, do I pass Jesus' test? Is there strong, compelling evidence that I am one that is laying up treasure in heaven? I am living in light of eternity I'm not living just for what I can get in time because if I am knowingly or unknowingly I'm, I'm going to be very disappointed I'm going to end up with a bunch of confederate money that's going to be worthless forever so what has captured my heart your heart second question if what's actually has hold of my heart what, what actually has seduced my heart infatuated my heart I'm obsessed with and you're obsessed with if you now know this is this is not worthy of me Jesus is urging me not to be obsessed with this not to be seduced by this not to be infatuated by this are you right now willing to trust him more than you trust you and let go of what you have been pursuing and now start to pursue what Christ says you will be eternally glad you did for some that means the starting point I'm just gonna 
in a world where everybody's following somebody, most of us following ourselves, I'm going to put my trust in Christ and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him fully and I'm going to follow him freely and I'm following him forever. I've been doing that for a long time now. No regrets. The only regret I ever have are those times when I can look back in my life where my will and his will went in opposite directions. That I've always regretted, but never when my will unites with his will. So, some of us, maybe this is the day. This is the day. We, we've sensed that we've needed to do something with our life. We've needed to make a change. And this is the day the Spirit of God is saying, yes, the change is you need to put your trust in Christ and become his follower. Nobody can do, you, do this for you. This doesn't mean going and joining a church or anything like that. If you become his follower, you'll want to do that ultimately, but that's not what this is about. But then what about those of us who, who found out today my heart's chasing a useless, worthless treasure. And I've been depending on it. I'm getting my sense of self-worth by it. I'm getting my sense of security by it. Uh, I've been pursuing something that I now know Jesus thinks is fool's gold. It's worthless. Are you willing today to start treasuring things that are above? Only you can answer it. Let's open our hearts in prayer to God as we close. Father, you know us, and your love is here today pleading with us to live in light of eternity, to lay up treasure in heaven and not treasure on earth. You know what each of us are going to have to do, what kind of changes we're going to have to make. May your spirit continue to uh, persuade us with gentleness but with thoroughness. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.